Number Two, Part Two of Heart of a Mystery by L. T. Mead and Robert Eustace. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. A little smoke continued. Tracy and I were returning home when we saw, standing on the balcony of the little hotel, the slight and graceful figure of Miss Hamilton. Good heavens! I could not help exclaiming. The blood rushed back to my heart, and I felt my face turning cold. My violent start and words of consternation caused Tracy to turn and glance at me in astonishment. What is the matter? he asked. Do you see that lady standing there? I see a remarkably pretty girl. Is she an old flame, Phineas? In the name of fortune, what is the matter with you? I saw her once before, I gasped. I hoped never to meet her again. What has she come for? How can I tell you? I presume visitors are allowed to stay at the hotel without our being consulted. If you knew all, I began, but I had scarcely spoken the words before Miss Hamilton, having seen us both, waved her hand to me with a gesture of recognition, and the next instant was tripping down the steps of the hotel to meet us. Mr. Finney's, she exclaimed, by what good fortune do we meet? How do you do? Pray introduce me to your friend. Her manner was so frank and pleasant, the expression in her eye so joyous and unshaded by embarrassment, that, in spite of myself, I began to think it a hideous dream that this pretty girl had ever come to me to plead for Mademoiselle Delacorte. I replied to her stiffly, however, and when she glanced in Tracy's direction, gave the necessary introduction with marked unwillingness. "'Oh, what a lovely dog!' she said as Zulu came up. The next moment she had dropped on her knees by the dog, clasped her arms round his neck, and printed a kiss on his broad forehead. To these blandishments Zulu immediately succumbed, although as a rule he was extremely distant to strangers. He licked Miss Hamilton's hand, wagged his bushy tail, and when she slowly returned to the hotel, to my still greater amazement, he left us to follow her. Your friend or your enemy, or whatever you like to call her, seems to have considerable power over the dog world, said Tracy. But what is up, Phineas? You look as if you had a shock. So I have, and perhaps I'll tell you tomorrow. Perhaps I'll keep it to myself. God help me. I do not know what to do. Your nerves are unstrung. You had better have some dinner and forget your trepidations, said Tracy, with a dash of impatience. There was nothing for it but to follow his advice. At table d'hôte, Miss Hamilton dined with us. She said quite frankly that she had a passion for traveling, had come by sea to Lisbon, and was making a brief tour through Portugal en route for Spain. I shall stay here for two or three days, she remarked. Sintra is the most lovely spot I have ever seen in my life. Tracy was evidently much taken with her. He was quite enthusiastic when he and I paced up and down the terrace for our evening smoke. He now asked me in wonder what I knew about her. She visited me in London, I answered. The purport of her visit I prefer not to talk about. He shrugged his shoulders. Keep your secret, Phineas, he remarked. Whatever you may know about her, I protest that Miss Hamilton is as charming a girl as I have often seen. I have promised her that she shall accompany us tomorrow to see some of the blasting operations. She is much interested in them. Early the following morning I arose, and seeing Miss Hamilton up and walking in the direction of the shore, I resolved to follow her. Zulu, of course, accompanied me. Miss Hamilton, I cried as I drew near. She stopped, turned, and looked me full in the face. Oh, how do you do, Mr. Finace? she remarked. Oh, this lovely dog. 
Again, all her attention was absorbed by the Newfoundland, who pressed close to her, wagged his tail, and licked her small hand. I want to ask you a direct question, was my next remark. Why have you followed me here? Our meeting at Lawrence's hotel is a coincidence, she said. Make what you like of it. Then you have not followed me? She glanced at me for a moment. No, she said. I do not believe you, I replied. You are telling me a lie. When I said this, the color swept into her face. She had been looking at me. Now she turned away. The action was significant. I was certain now of what I was almost sure of before. She had come to Sintra because I was there. For what ghastly purpose, heaven only knew. I would have questioned her further, but just then Tracy made his appearance. He was evidently more than attracted by Miss Hamilton. Her gentle words, her pretty, well-trained voice, her graceful actions impressed this rough, good-hearted fellow in a way which amazed me. "'What are our plans for today?' he asked in a genial voice. "'I, of course, shall be busy with my work, but if you would really like to see the blasting, Miss Hamilton, I will promise to look after you. You, Phineas, and I can lunch together, just on the spot where Phineas is painting his celebrated picture.' "'Oh, you are an artist, Mr. Phineas?' she asked, and she gave me a gentle and what looked like a beseeching glance. "'Your plan is delightful, Mr. Tracy,' she continued. "'Let us carry it out to the letter.' Tracy grew now almost boisterous. We interviewed our landlady with the result that we were provided with an excellent luncheon basket, and immediately after breakfast we started for our day's expedition. I went to my accustomed place, sat down, and made arrangements to continue my painting. I gazed right across the valley at the glorious scene which I was endeavoring to depict. My palette was in my hand. My brushes lay near. All of a sudden I missed the dog. Where was he? It was the habit of this faithful creature to lie at my feet during the long hours that I was employed over my work, and never for an instant to leave me. His absence puzzled me until I remembered his extraordinary penchant for Miss Hamilton. Could it be possible that he was with her? At lunchtime this turned out to be the case, for Miss Hamilton, Tracy, and the dog appeared together. "'Ah, Zulu!' I cried, pretending to be angry with the handsome creature. "'You have forsaken me for the first time in your life.' As I said the words, I noticed a peculiar flash of satisfaction in Miss Hamilton's eyes. She was in high spirits and insisted on opening the luncheon basket and acting as hostess. We two young men were as children in her hands. She was so gentle, bright, picturesque, and graceful that even I forgot my alarms and enjoyed myself thoroughly. After lunch, Tracy rose. "'It is hard to tear myself away, but duty calls,' he exclaimed. "'Are you coming back?' he added, looking at Miss Hamilton. "'Or will you watch Finesse for a time?' "'I will follow you presently with Zulu,' she answered. "'But just now I should like to watch Mr. Finesse.' Tracy went off, and Miss Hamilton and I were alone. The dog lay at her feet. Now and then her pretty hand touched his black head. Now and then she looked at me without speaking. Her attitude was one of repose and contentment. "'How well you paint,' she said suddenly. "'This is the hobby of my life,' I answered. "'I should indeed think small beer of myself if I did not do it fairly well. "'You are perhaps a professional artist, Mr. Finesse?' No, I replied, I am an amateur. I have never earned my bread. I have enough money to live on. Ah, lucky you, she replied. 
I do not agree with you, I answered shortly. The man who has enough money to live on is deprived of the most powerful stimulus that can animate the human race. He need not work to live, therefore he scarcely works at all. But there, I added, reading a curious expression in her eyes, I have done for today. I put down my palette, collected my brushes, and, putting them back in their case, looked full at her. When are you going away? I asked. Do you not like to have me here? Frankly, no. That means you are afraid of me. I was silent. Mr. Finney's, she said gently, I did not mean to say a word, but your question and your attitude towards me force me to speak. You dislike my presence at Sintra. You resent it. Sintra is your hiding place, and I have come to it. I shook my head when she said that Sintra was my hiding place. She gazed back at me and laughed. Then she said abruptly, You need not deny it. You say that I have followed you here. I say that you have come here to hide. That means that you are afraid. Now, Mr. Finney's, I am sorry for you. It is a pity that one so young and good-looking, and with enough money to live on, should needlessly endanger his life. Yes, I repeat the word, his life. I will go tomorrow morning if you will confide to me that small secret which you refuse to communicate to Mademoiselle Delacourt. I rose now and bent over Miss Hamilton, who was still seated on the ground. You think me a coward, I said, but I am not quite so bad as that. Listen, the subject to which you have alluded must be in the future a closed book between us. I decline to discuss it. You are not to allude to it. Now, what do you think of this view? Come and stand just here and see what I am making of it. She rose and entered into a critical and very intelligent dissertation with regard to my picture. Soon afterwards, we both wended our way in the direction where Tracy was busy superintending the making of the new road. Notwithstanding my growing anxiety, the evening passed cheerfully. Miss Hamilton had brought her guitar, and she sang Spanish ditties to her own accompaniment with excellent taste. Tracy was in greater raptures with our visitor than ever. I tell you what it is, old fellow, I could not help exclaiming when we found ourselves alone. You had better look before you leap. The next thing I shall hear is that you have fallen in love with Cecil Hamilton. Is Cecil her Christian name? Yes. How do you know? I saw it on her card. In this hotel? No, before I came to Portugal. Finesse, won't you explain this mystery? I hope I may never need to, was my answer. But, Tracy, one word of warning. Whoever you lose your heart to, do not let Cecil Hamilton be the girl. He laughed, then he sighed. I never intend to marry. I would not tie myself to a woman for all creation. But I may as well own that if I could see myself conducted to the altar for the sake of any woman, it would be for that of the pretty girl who is now at the hotel. A few days went by and my sketch progressed. Miss Hamilton did not leave Sintra, and Zulu became more and more attached to her. We two young men and this dark-eyed pretty girl now spent the greater part of our days together. In the evening she sang to us. Tracy was like a moth, coming ever nearer and nearer to the candle. Beyond these small facts, nothing happened in the least interesting. Another week went by, and a morning dawned with bright sunshine and cloudless sky. I had got up rather earlier than usual, intending to continue my picture before the sun got too hot when the waiter entered the dining saloon and handed me a telegram. I tore it open, my heart quickened with a sense of alarm. 
It was in cipher and was signed Tempest. I quickly took out my copy of the key and translated the words, which ran as follows. You are in the utmost danger. Enemy has been close to you since you left England. Tempest. I sank into a chair and grasped the paper in my hand. It did not need Tempest's words to tell me where the danger lay. Even a pretty girl, if employed by your enemies, can be ruthless and desperate. I felt a sick sensation round my heart. The inability to know from what direction the blow would fall was the worst of my trial. Till now I had refrained from telling Tracy a word of my extraordinary position, but on the receipt of the telegram I determined to take him into my confidence. Perhaps he might help me. I sought his room and found him dressing. As piece by piece I communicated all the facts of my strange story, I observed a succession of changes passing over his face. First of all, surprise, then incredulity, and last, as I showed him the telegram, a grave expression. What am I to do? I cried. This is fact, remember? So it appears, he answered. You are a nice sort of companion to go about with. Here he laid his hand on my shoulder. Never mind, old man, he continued. I will stick to you through thick and thin. But do, for heaven's sake, get the idea that poor little Cecil Hamilton is mixed up in this affair out of your head. By her own showing she is in communication with the Miss Delacourt, I answered. That may be, but for any vulgar violence, any danger to your life, she would be the last person employed. If I were you, I would try to keep up my pecker, Finesse. We are not in fairyland or the realm of impossibilities. You cannot do any more than you are doing. Take my revolver with you this morning. I shall stay pretty near, and if there is the slightest sign of tricks, we will make it warm for the individual, whoever he may happen to be. Wait till I have had breakfast, and we will go up the mountain as usual. Of course, go on with your picture. It will help to take your mind off this nasty affair. And you have got Zulu, a bodyguard in himself. If it is any sort of vulgar violence, he will account for somebody. After thinking for a moment or two, I resolved to take Tracy's advice. There was, as he said, no help for the present situation, and to sit still with my hands before me meant madness. Just as he and I were starting for the mountain, Miss Hamilton came into the hall to meet us. She was fully dressed, as if for a journey, and at that moment I saw the hall porter conveying her luggage downstairs. What? I exclaimed. Are you off? Yes, she answered. I go to Lisbon by the next train. I have had a sudden message which obliges me to get to Paris as soon as possible. Here she gave me a full and very penetrating stare. Then we shall not meet again, I said. There was unmistakable relief in my tones. We are not likely to meet any more, she answered gravely, almost solemnly. She held out her hand. I just touched it. As I did so, I felt an extraordinary repugnance seizing me. I shall miss you both, she said, and in especial shall I miss Zulu, but good-bye, don't let me keep you. Au revoir, gentlemen. She waved her hand in the pretty way she had done when I had first seen her standing on the balcony, and the next instant Tracy, Zulu, and I started for our day's expedition. Well, that is a relief, I could not help muttering. Tracy shrugged his shoulders. I wish you would leave that unfortunate girl out of the thing, he said. She is not what you think her. Of that I am firmly convinced. I did not reply. We went up the mountain by our usual path, 
and I soon settled myself in my accustomed nook to continue my sketch. "'There you are, old chap,' said Tracy. "'Paint away, and good luck to you. I shall be just above you, a hundred yards or so, and I will come down to have a smoke and a chat now and then. I do not wonder you feel capsized, but there is really no possible danger.' He started up the path and disappeared into a thicket of high laurels. I felt little inclined to work, and for half an hour scarcely touched my canvas. But by and by I became once more interested, and then completely absorbed. Presently I rose from my stool and took a step back to view the picture, and then glanced up at the scenery. All nature seemed to be dozing in the bright midday sunshine. The still air was laden with the perfume of thousands of flowers, a bright yellow butterfly, the first I had seen, passed close to me. Just at that moment I glanced around and perceived for the first time that Zulu was missing. I slightly wondered at his absence. Miss Hamilton was no longer in the neighborhood to attract him. I resolved to give him a scolding when he reappeared, and then sat down to my work. I was busy just then trying exactly to fix the depth of the purple haze that hung on the distant mountains. I had just dipped my brush into my water can when I suddenly heard my name shouted from above in Tracy's deep tones. The voice came booming down over the rocks, and extreme excitement rang in the sharp-flung words, Finace, run, quick, for God's sake, get away from the dog! I started up, overturning my easel as I did so. What is it? I shouted back, as a chill fear of danger I could not see shook me but I had scarcely uttered the words when, turning swiftly, I saw Zulu coming along the path at an even canter towards me. What on earth was the matter with him? There was something queer on his back that bulged up above his great head. Good God, it was something smoking! What I could not see, but it was enough. I knew what had happened. Miss Hamilton's interest in the blasting operations was explained. Miss Hamilton's visit to Sintra was made plain. The reason of her remarkable friendship for Zulu was all too manifest. The dog was to be the weapon used for my destruction. It was a fuse that towered above his big head. Any moment, the fuse would reach the dynamite below, and a terrible explosion would scatter his life and mine. The very imminence of the peril cooled my blood. I crouched down on the ground, and as Zulu approached, made an effort to snatch the fuse from his head. In vain, he would not come near. He was excited and half-mad with spirits. The poor brute gambled round me, little knowing that there was but a step between him and a horrible death. Suddenly he made for me, as though to caress me, and I, possessed by an impulse which I could not restrain nor fathom nor overcome, fled from him. I fled down the mountainside like one possessed. Even in that mad flight, my reason told me I had little chance of escape. The faster I went, the quicker did the dog pursue me. I could hear his hurried breath as he rushed after me. In less than a minute, I had reached the top of a stony and steep descent to the little church of Santa Maria. On one side of the path was a stone wall, on the other a sheer drop of sixty feet. Scarcely knowing what I did, with one frantic leap I cleared the wall. I had hardly done so before an appalling explosion rent the air. The very earth seemed to shake. A huge fragment of stonework flew whistling by, and then the roar died away in echoes reverberating along the mountainside. Trembling and half 
Stunned, I looked back over the wall. Not a vestige of the dog was to be seen. Nothing but a huge, ragged hole where the macadam had been torn up. I sank down, sick and giddy. After a time, I vaguely wondered why Tracy did not appear. It was nearly an hour before he came running down the path. When we met, he grasped my hand. His ruddy face was white, and he was panting heavily. "'By Jove, old man, that was a near thing!' he gasped. "'But how did it happen? Tell me, what was done? What did you see?' I asked. My teeth were chattering, even in the hot sunshine. I looked at Tracy, who stood quiet now by my side. "'Why do you not speak?' I asked. "'What do you want to know?' he replied. "'The dog is dead, poor brute, and you have escaped by the skin of your teeth. But how did it happen? Tell me what you know.' "'I will,' he said then. "'I was standing close up alongside that tower under the pines when I saw Zulu come round the corner, just where the wall is low. He passed within two feet of me, wagging his tail. I spoke to him. He looked round, but did not stop. Suddenly, to my amazement—' I saw that he had something fastened to his collar, something from which a little smoke was rising. The next instant I perceived that it was a fuse, exactly like those my men use for blasting. Then the horror of the thing struck me. I remembered your telegram, and I knew what it meant. I grabbed at the dog to tear it off, but he slipped by, making down to you, as was natural. Then I shouted, for I saw your danger. Thank God, you just escaped, but it was a near thing a matter of seconds. As he said the last words, I saw he was trembling horribly. Something in his attitude and manner aroused my suspicions. The explosion took place nearly an hour ago, I said. Why did you not come to me sooner? You are concealing something. What is the matter? He did not speak. You are concealing something? Yes. Oh, my God, yes. What, Tracy? Speak in heaven's name. It was not that girl. Tell me, Miss Hamilton had nothing to do with it? Yes, said Tracy again. Yes. He spoke in gasps, as though his breath failed him. I will tell you, he said. You must know, and the sooner it is over, the better. When the dog rushed to you, I saw a girl crouching behind a boulder of rock. She was Miss Hamilton. She was straining her neck and bending forward to watch the movement of the dog. She never saw me. When the report came, she clapped her hands to her ears, looked again as though her eyes would start from her head, uttered a shriek, and flew down the mountain in the opposite direction. I followed her like a madman. I called to her to stop. A sort of instinct told me what she was going to do. I knew that she was making for the cliff, just where there is a drop of five hundred feet. She had an advantage of me, and she ran like the wind. She got to the edge of the cliff while I was still a good way behind her. How she stopped herself, I do not know, but she did. She stood as rigid as a statue, pressed her hand to her heart, turned and shouted to me. Your friend is alive, were her words. I have failed. Those who belong to the French Secret Service die when they fail. With that, she was over the precipice, Finesse. Old man, I am sick. The great burly fellow fell like a lump of lead at my feet. Tracy came to himself, and I brought him back to the hotel. And that evening I went with some workmen to discover the body of the miserable girl whose mission it had been to take my life. I found it mangled out of recognition. The next day we buried her on the side of the mountain. That evening Tracy spoke to me. I cannot stay here, Venace. It is no use. I have wired to Cooper's Hill. They must send out another man to complete this job. I leave Sintra tomorrow morning. 
and I will go with you, was my answer. End of A Little Smoke, Part 2